Hello everyone and welcome to the 13th episode of Late Night Crime Cast. I'm your host Robin Steffens and every week on Thursday I'm going to post a new true crime story. I will cover cases that are local, cases that got a lot of media attention, and everything in between. This will actually be the final regular episode of this season and on Monday I'll have a last Murder Monday episode but then I'll be gone for about a month but no worries, I'll be active on my YouTube channel under Robin Steffens and on the Late Night Crimecast Instagram page. So check those out if you want to stay up to date and be reminded of when season two comes out. But now into this case that I've been literally dying to talk about. So in this episode, we'll be talking about a case that just, it really doesn't sit well with me. And I think that it needs to be reinvestigated. There is some serious corruption going on in this case, and it's disgusting to me that nothing has been done about it. If you guys haven't guessed by the title, today we're going to be talking about the death of Tamla Horsford. Tamla Horsford was born on October 10th, 1978 in Kingstown, St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And that's like a Caribbean island. She was a beautiful black woman with brown eyes and black hair. At the time of her death, she was 40 years old and a loving wife to her husband, Leander Horsford, and the mother of six children. She had five biological sons and one stepdaughter. Tamla and her family lived in Cummings, Georgia. And that is actually in Forsyth County, which, if you don't know, has a long history of racism against black people. It's always been a mostly white population, and for decades, they pushed out black people from their community. There have been several different instances of this, so let me just talk to you guys about some of those. In 1912, there was an incident in which a mob of almost 4,000 people rallied together and lynched a black teenager for allegedly raping a white woman. And this was with no real proof or evidence. And this basically, this whole situation caused them to push out over 1,000 black people from the community to quote unquote protect their white woman. Then later, there was a group of men called Night Riders who would go around threatening the livelihood of black people living in the area, pretty much giving them as little as 24 hours to leave town and threatening them harm if they weren't out by then, basically. And then even as early as the 1980s, it's been caught on film, like the horrible racism and treatment of black people on the Oprah show, no less. And so I guess in this film, there were white people just saying things that I just can't repeat on this podcast about black people, just horrible stuff. And, you know, this is just the few things that are documented. I'm sure that there is still stuff going on, but I just want to give you guys the history of this place, of this county that Tamla was from. The racial discrimination and the history, I think, really affected how her case was handled. 
I hate to say that, but in my opinion, it's true. And you'll see what I mean in a bit, but I just wanted to set this up so you have background knowledge. Anyway, moving on, Tamla and her family, they lived in Cummings, Georgia, and they had a happy life. I mean, Tamla was described as being vibrant and loved by everyone who met her. She was an active mom in the school and the community, and she was found regularly at various sports games cheering her sons on. She was really considered a football mom, so one of her sons was involved with a local football team, and so she would go out and support him, go to his games, and I guess during that time, she started to become friends with some of the other football moms there, and so I'm guessing that these women, they became so close, so much so that they start hanging out together outside of football games, because on November 3rd of 2018, they all came together to have an adult sleepover. And this is when I'm actually going to start getting into the nitty gritty of what happened to Tamla and her death. But before I get into this, I just want to say that all of this is speculation. Um, these are things that have been theorized and it's basically opinion, not fact for the most part. I mean, I'm going to be sharing facts, of course, but I'm also going to be adding in theories and my own opinions in there. I don't want to have to say allegedly before every sentence, but I just want to make it clear that some of these things I'm going to be saying will be opinion based on the research that I've done and the evidence presented to me. So on November 3rd, Tamla went to this sleepover and it was supposed to be a football mom sleepover, all adults, and an all women sleepover. She was the only black woman there and there were, I think, seven women seven other white women at the party um, but there was also three men at this party as well and that's important to mention um, none of these men were black and I know for a fact that one man was Hispanic but we'll talk about him more later so Tamla arrives at this party it's around nine o'clock that night like I said it was her several other women and three men at this party John Myers was the homeowner of this house that this party was thrown at and the Hispanic man I mentioned earlier, Jose Barrera is the name, um, he is the boyfriend of Jean. The other women in the house or at the sleepover were named Nicole, Marcy, Bridget, Jennifer, Sarah, Paula, and Stacy. Stacy's husband Thomas was one of the other men there. Then there was Jean's Aunt Madeline, who was also in the home, and lastly, a man named Michael. So that's everyone. Okay, so this party is happening. They're drinking. Um, Tamla had actually bought her own bottle of tequila, and she was drinking out of that the entire night. Um, so, you know, everyone's getting pretty drunk, pretty intoxicated. And Tamla, she's very outgoing already, and so she's really working the room, she's socializing, and I mean, everyone is. There are pictures and videos of everyone, including Tamla, enjoying themselves, having laughs, having drinks, and so at this point, it's just your normal party. Then the later it gets, people slowly start to go home. So the first to leave the party was Nicole and Sarah. They leave the party pretty early, around 10.30 p.m. So then leading into the next day, which really is still early morning, like around 1.47 a.m. on November 4th, 
uh, Bridget leaves and she's the last one to see Tamla alive or at least one of the last people to see her alive. Then Marcy leaves around 4.10. Paula leaves around 7.45. Then Thomas and Stacy, they leave around 8.30 a.m. And so that's the majority of the party. It doesn't really mention um, in most articles or videos that I've seen or things that I've read. It doesn't mention about the other man that was there or some of the other girls. But I assume that some of these people, they maybe have stayed and then the people who mentioned just left. And so the house actually has a security system. So I was able to give all these timestamps because the system documents when the front door or back door was opened then shut. And so we can know, okay, this person left sometime around there. And so the system was actually able to give exact times that everyone had left. So this will be important for later. But back into the story, barely 15 minutes after Thomas and Stacy leave, and like I said, that was around 8.30 a.m. So barely 15 minutes after that, the aunt, Madeline, she sees someone laying face down in the backyard. Then upon closer observation, she realizes that it's the body of Tamla. She then informs Jean and Jose, and then around nine, the police are called. So we're gonna get into that 911 call later, but first I wanna fill in what happened or what supposedly happened. So from what the people at the party are saying, they say that Tamla was the last one up. Um, Jose Barrera specifically said that he saw her and that she was in the kitchen, that he thought she was possibly waiting for a ride, um, but it was implied on the 911 call that I'm gonna share later, uh, that she went outside to the balcony to go smoke. Um, he says that he sees lighters, cigarettes, you know, and so I guess that implies that she was out there smoking. Um, so apparently she went to smoke by herself and this is when she supposedly fell off the balcony because I guess she was intoxicated, she was drunk. Um, okay, that's, that's it. And in my opinion, they honestly could have come up with a better lie. Okay, I'm just kidding, but really, am I? I don't know. So, okay, they do this 911 call and then the police show up. And so the only visible injuries police saw at first sight was a broken wrist and cuts on her shins. But the final autopsy report indicates blunt force injuries, including a broken neck, a subdural hematoma, and a torn heart muscle. And so the police, they basically state that these injuries are consistent with a fall off of the deck, which was approximately 16 feet off the ground. There was also alcohol and Xanax found in her body as well. And I mean, they were drinking, so clearly there's going to be alcohol found in her bloodstream. She wasn't driving or anything. She's allowed to drink in her own home or around her own friends, you know. Um, but the Xanax, her family says that she was not prescribed that. So where'd she get that from? Who gave that to her? <sighs> okay, so... Those are questions that have not been answered, at least as far as I'm concerned. They haven't been answered, but you know, lots of things in this investigation just, they just seem skimmed over. But okay, we'll get into that later. So 
Tamla's cause of death was acute ethanol intoxication and multiple blunt force injuries. And I know what you're thinking. All of those injuries from a 16-foot fall? It just doesn't make sense. I would expect a broken bone. Like that broken wrist, that makes sense. Not multiple blunt force injuries. Not some tear in a heart muscle. Uh, not like this beaten up appearance of her. It just doesn't make sense. She fell face forward and she's like so beaten up. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. It sounds a lot similar to Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. So there's that. Okay, now I'm going to add in the 911 calls. I, let me just let these play out because they really speak for themselves. Forsyth County, 911. Hi, yes, um, I, I need an ambulance and a place to my home. What is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is 609? Yes. Okay, what's going on? Um, we had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, and we just went out outside, and she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like maybe, I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay, is she breathing? I don't, I don't know if she's face down. Okay. How, how old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Barrera. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just tried to assess her Tesla. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, um, do you see any blood or anything where she, are you there? I am. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not, I was outside. It's okay. I'm not sure I happened to line it for a second. Do you see any blood or anything to where, from where she fell? Um, I, I don't know if I should move her over. I mean, she's completely face down. Okay. I mean, can you just check and see if she's breathing? If, if she's not breathing and you, and you know she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. If she, okay. One minute. Uh, I'm completely not sure. Okay, and that's the only blood that you would see? That's what I can see without moving her over. I had okay. a face. Um, do you know if she, um, do you know if she was suicidal at all? I have no clue. I've met her one other time. Um, you know, like my girlfriend said, people were over last night. <clears throat> um, just, we were at, she was, her birthday party, we are not the woman that we believe to be deceased, but my girlfriend's birthday party, instead of having everybody go out, she had everyone stay in. And she was the last one I saw before everybody, I mean, everybody was typically put off to bed. She was the last one in the kitchen. She was just either waiting around for a ride or waiting until the morning. Okay. 
How far is the um, where she would have fell from? How far is the deck from the ground? Um, I would probably say. Maybe 20 feet. Okay. You know, 20 feet from where your feet would be on the railing. The railing itself is maybe three and a half, four feet. Okay. And what is her name? Uh, I know her name. We call her Tam. I'm assuming that's short for Tammy or Tamra. Was she there with anyone else? Uh, your name is Tam Horsford, H-O-R-S-F-O-R-D, so the black female. Um, I don't believe anybody was. Uh, my girlfriend has cameras here on the back deck that we can check. Okay. That I think would have caught the incident if she fell from here. Again, I, I, I don't know. How, it's, it's hard to say if she fell from from the deck or if she was already downstairs. She was the only on poker here and I'm sorry, she has a lot of information. So you think she's possibly out um, smoking? Yeah, she was she was the only smoker. I mean I'm I'm on the back deck right now and, you know, cigarette lighter that type of thing are out here. Um okay. so I'm just trying to see where on a list my came from. All right. Um, have, are all the people that were there last night, are they still at your house? Okay. Okay, there are four people that were here last night that are no longer here. Okay. And they just left this morning, or they leave last night? Uh, do you know roughly what time each of them left? Like, two, they completely are going We can check. I mean, she's got an alarm system that gives alerts when the doors are open on her phone. Okay. But I, would, I think the last time that I personally saw Tam was probably about one in the morning before I'd gone upstairs to bed. Okay. And then at that point, she was the only one in the kitchen. Okay, guys, so that was the entirety of the 911 call. So I just want to point out how it sounds like they're maybe ordering food over the phone rather than reporting the death of their friend. Like, I would literally be hysterical if something like that happened to someone I didn't know. This is supposedly someone that they felt comfortable enough with to have a sleepover with, to invite to their homes, and to a private event. Just listen to other 911 calls. There's always some type of urgency to the voices in these calls, especially when someone is hurt. Like, I beg you to listen to any other 911 call where the person is just an innocent bystander, like they don't even have to know the person. There is still urgency, maybe even yelling, a sort of desperation to get help. And from this call, you have none of that. Everyone is very calm. It's almost as if they're unaffected by this. 
Like they've planned everything that they wanted to say. It's literally so crazy that this 911 call just flies under the radar like this. Like she doesn't even say her name. She isn't like my friend Tamla. She just says like, oh, them, like one of them, you know, went out and, you know, one of them got hurt kind of thing. She doesn't give out details about who is hurt, who the victim is. The first real detail she gives is her setting up that, oh, the girl just fell. And then also they say that she's stiff. They keep on saying that, that she's stiff, not moving, but... They don't know if she's breathing. They didn't check if she's breathing, but they know her body is stiff. And I mean, you know she's stiff, but you can't tell she's alive. Like before they even check whether she's alive, they're already coming up with a story or an excuse for what happened to her. Oh, it looks like she just fell from the balcony, mm -mm, but okay. That's not even the most damning part. So Jean switches over to Jose, Jose Barrera and he really takes over. Um, he is, you know, he just really takes over. And I didn't mention this before. I have no idea why I didn't mention this before, but he's a probation officer. So he's involved with law enforcement on the regular. And so just the way he takes over is very telling. He's just like, hey, it's it's me, Jose Barrera. Like, you should know me. Like, he says his name before he even gets to say Tamla's name, before the victim's name is ever said. The dispatcher literally has to ask who is even hurt here. But, you know, that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how he is already getting his story wrong. And I get it. I'm not here to speculate on how people handle situations like this. I'm not here to speculate on how people grieve or react to trauma or process things, but come on. It seems like he he tries to, he says he tried to assess her, but then he backtracks and says he doesn't know if she's alive. Like, did you try to help her or not? I mean, you're clearly probably trained in CPR. I mean, I was involved. I worked for law enforcement. I worked as a CPS. I was a civilian still, but I had to learn CPR. That's just like one of the most basic things you have to know when you're dealing with people in general. And so he has to know how to do that. So I mean, you're telling me someone's laying on the ground hurt and you didn't try to help. It just doesn't make sense to me. But even out of all of that, just like the tone of voice, everything, it just doesn't sit well with me. And okay, so he says that they have cameras. Why have we not seen or heard of any footage? Why? I feel like that would really dispel any doubts in people's minds of what happened, but the fact that it's mentioned in this call, but not mentioned again by anyone after this call, that is the most telling thing of all to me. And so now you guys, I told you guys that um, Barrera, he was a probation officer. And so actually it turns out that in December of last year, the Forsyth County court system fired him from his job as a probation officer for allegedly using his position to access confidential files related to Hordsford's death investigation. So then a police report was filed by Hordsford's friend, Michelle Graves, who um, she was very vocal. She's been speaking out about how she thinks that her friend was murdered. And I mean, lots of people think so. She thinks so. 
Um, and she actually had this police report filed that accused him of accessing her personal information and providing it to other individuals who attended the party. He denies these allegations, but I mean, he was literally fired from his job. Why are you nosing around in a case that you, you're looking like a suspect in, honestly? Like, why are you putting your business in there? Why are you searching up her friend's information? Why? It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And honestly, that is just so freaking telling and nothing is being done about it. That's really the majority of the case. These are just all of my opinions and my thoughts and my feelings towards everything, towards the 911 call, towards the autopsy, towards all the information that's given. These are just my opinions and I would really like to know what you guys think. So I hope you guys just head over to my Instagram, Late Night Crimecast Instagram, and you guys just put your thoughts on there about this case because this just, it doesn't sit right with me. Something isn't right about it. I think that these people involved, like the friends, quote unquote friends, like these are not real friends of Tamla's. I think that they were involved and that they just have, you know, people in high places just sticking up for them. So yeah, I'm going to end this podcast right here. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I will see you guys for Murder Monday on Monday and then that'll be it for a month or so. So until next time, guys, bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.